Last time I preached here, I was just thinking about that, was 2009, right? It was a long time ago. <laughs> but it's good to be back. And um, what today is going to be about, it's going to be a little bit more of a teaching, I'd say, than a preaching. So if you can bear with me. And, uh, and it's going to be on religion versus the gospel. And so in order to do that, what we're going to do is kind of use these questions here as our guide to go through. So you, if you're taking notes at all, you can uh, use this as your guide, write this down. We're going to look at what is the purpose of the law, where the Old and New Testament, where the Old Testament stops and where the New Testament starts. What's the difference between the two? This is going to be important when it comes to religion and gospel. And what is the freedom of the gospel? So hopefully at the end, we'll, we'll end with a little bit more preaching than teaching. But uh, as we start, before we even get into the purpose of the law and, and that sort of thing, we need to address what kinds of covenants are used in the Bible. Uh, and so uh, the first type of covenant is a parody covenant. There's three types of covenants in the Bible. This one we're not really going to focus on, but it's basically between equals. And there's an example in Genesis 31 between Jacob and Laban there. And then a marriage covenant is also a parity covenant between equals. Um, but then there's a couple other covenants, and those are what we're going to look at a little bit more closely. And so would you just bow with me and let's pray before we get into those and uh, ask for the Lord to guide us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are here that you are among us, that your Holy Spirit is inside of us, that you teach us. And just as the sun is shining right now and it hardens clay and it softens wax, that we would, our hearts would be waxed before you, God, before your presence. We pray that you would mold us, that we would submit our lives to you this morning. We pray for your guidance, God, for your understanding, that you would bring clarity, that you would bring revelation to your church this morning, the freedom that's found in your gospel. I pray for open minds and open hearts to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. If there's any words that I say that are not correct, they would drop to the floor. Lord, we just pray that you would build up your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, let's go to the next one where we look at a suzerainty covenant. I know this is a big word, so really try to follow, follow me here and, and track with what we're doing. Uh, so a suzerainty covenant is a conditional covenant. It says, if you do this, then this happens, right? And so it's two-sided. Both parties have a part, and I'll give some examples here. Uh, it's temporal, has an end, and that is normally given from a higher status person to a lower status person. So a king would come, take over a land, and then he would make a suzerainty covenant with the people that he's conquered. So he, the king would be the higher status person making a covenant with a lower status person or group. Uh, the biblical example that we're going to look at is Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. And if we can go to the next slide, it's right there for us. It says, Now therefore, this is God speaking to Moses. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
And so this is what um, God is telling Moses. He's giving them the covenant. This is Exodus 19. This is where all the people of Israel have left their, their slavery behind. And now they're at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God gives them the covenant. The Ten Commandments come in the very next chapter, Exodus 20. And so this is where God comes to his people and makes this covenant with him. And remember, it's an if-then covenant. So if you obey my voice, the verse says, then you will be my treasured people, and so on. The whole book of Deuteronomy is um, fashioned after uh, a Hittite suzerainty covenant. Those were, were common covenants in those days. And so the whole book of Deuteronomy, the structure of it actually follows a Hittite covenant. Um, and then the last example is what I said there. Kings would make a deal with a people. And it was sort of a win-win situation because the kings would come. They could just kill everybody, and then they'd own the land. Or they could keep everybody alive and make a deal with them, saying, you pay me st- if you pay me taxes, then I will protect you and keep you. And so it was a win for the people. They got to stay alive, and it was a win for the king. They, uh, they got the money from the taxes. And so there's an example of suzerainty covenant. Okay, everybody got that? <laughs> Let's go to the next one. This is a, a promissory covenant. The third type of covenant we see in the Bible. So it's not a two-way agreement. It's, it's mostly one way. The one person comes down, makes a promise to another person. So it's one-sided, legally binding, and there's no end. Now, if we can go to that example in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, this is an example of a promissory covenant. God comes down to Abraham, chooses him out of all the people in the world at the time, and he says, it says Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God comes down and just promises Abraham blessing. Out of nowhere, there's nothing Abraham has to do. There's no stipulations. There's no, if you do this, Abraham, then I will bless you. It's not like that. It's different. It's just God saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And uh, Paul picks up this in chapter four of Romans and says, because of Jesus, all the nations of the earth are blessed through Abraham's seed. And so that's what this, this promissory covenant is all about. So God's the one who comes down, makes the promise. He's the one who fulfills it. He's the one who uh, makes it happen. And all Abraham had to do was receive it. That's all. So let's go back to the questions. Remember where we're at here. Um, now we're going to get into the purpose of the law. So as we go through these questions that are going to guide us, just keep in mind those, those mainly the last two covenants we talked about. The suzerainty covenant, which suzerain just means God or, or a, a suzerain, a ruler, um, a sovereign is a similar word to it. Uh, so the suzerainty covenant and the promissory covenant, those two covenants. The suzerainty covenant is an if-then. There's stipulations. Promissory covenant is just one-sided. God comes down and blesses Abraham. So let's look at the Old Testament, the purpose of the law. Uh, The law actually comes down as a divider between us and God. 
That's what the law does because the law shows us our sin. This verse here in Romans 3.20, it says, For by works of law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So it doesn't matter how much we try to obey the law, the only thing we're going to realize is that we failed to obey it. So the only thing we're going to get out of that is that we can't, that we have sin, knowledge of sin. And, and so the, the law actually serves as a divider between us and God. It, it makes a gap between us and God. All right? That's one of the things the law does. It's, it's a diagnostic. It's not a cure. So if you break your arm and you're like, oh, shoot, I think it's broken, you have to go to the hospital. You go there and they give you an x-ray. And the x-ray shows the big break in the arm, wherever it is. And you see that on the screen. Whoa, it's, you know, it's a big break. And you can keep going back to that x-ray machine as much as you like, but the only thing it's going to do is show you you're broken. It's not going to fix you. It's not going to heal you. Nothing's going to happen except for it's going to show you your brokenness. And that's what the law does. We keep going back to the law and back to the law, and all it does is show us our brokenness. That's part of the purpose of the law. The law is a diagnostic. It's not a cure. Uh, so you might be thinking, wow, the law just sounds really condemning and like brutal and just terrible. Um, and, and it is supposed to be condemning. That is what it is. If, if we go to, um, Paul says that Moses was a minister of condemnation. Uh, and, and Moses was supposed to be a minister of condemnation so that people would see their need for a savior. And so that's what the law reveals. It reveals that we can't do it. We keep going back and we see our brokenness. We can't get healed. And so it reveals our need for a Savior. And that's what Galatians says. Uh, when the fullness of time uh, had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we, we right, might receive adoption as sons. So God sent forth his Son, born under the law, Jesus was born under the law. He lived his whole life under the law. Sorry, this is the verse I meant to say. <laughs> uh, let's look at this one first, and then we'll go to the, next, the one we just did. Uh, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So that was the purpose of the law. It was that x-ray machine. It was that diagnostic to show us that we can't fix ourselves. It just shows us our brokenness. And that's what it was meant to do, to reveal to us our need for a Savior. And that's what Galatians 3 here says, that we were under that ministry of condemnation for a time to guide us to the place where we would recognize our need for Christ and we would accept Christ. Uh, now let's look at that next verse. Jesus was born under the law. He lived his whole life under the law. And so when we look at verses like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, uh, where it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said, this is verse 27 now, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
What Jesus is doing here is showing the intent of the law. The law just isn't these Ten Commandments where you have to follow them and you follow them outwardly and you're perfect and you can get saved that way. Jesus is showing the scribes and the Pharisees the intent of the law was even deeper. It goes all the way to the heart. He's showing them uh, that the law is, he's, give, he's showing them it's really, 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 really lawful. He's going, you know, really, really, really deep here into their hearts to show them that they are really, 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 really sinful, to show them that they really, 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 really need a Savior. That's what he's doing here when he's saying these things. He's, he goes on to say, you know, if you have anger in your heart, um, then you've, you essentially you've committed murder against your brother because that's already in you. And so he's showing the law is really, really lawful. He's making that divide between man and God even bigger. It was, it was to exaggerate that, to show the scribes and the Pharisees, you guys can't get saved through the law. You keep going back to the law. The law is not going to save you. The law is not going to save you. And so the point of the law is to show God's holiness, our sinfulness, and our need for Christ, a Redeemer, a Savior. So that is the purpose of the law. We go back to our, um, our questions that are guiding us here. And we're going to go to the next one, number two. Where does the Old Testament stop and the New Testament start? Hebrews tells us this. Therefore, Jesus, is talking about, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, a will is a testament, a covenant, a promise, same thing. For a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. What this is telling us is when the New Testament, Old Testament stops and the New Testament starts, the Old Testament stops when Jesus dies. That's when it happens. So when Jesus dies, he, that's when he fulfills the Old Testament. He's lived his whole life under the Old Testament. He's lived it perfectly. He's the only human being to ever have fully satisfied the law, being innocent. And that's why he he had to be God and he had to be man at the same time uh, so that he could fully take our place and fully be obedient to the law. And so Jesus' death on the cross is what finishes that act of of the old covenant. It's done. Uh, and then in Hebrews 8, it also tells us that it's, the old covenant is, is fading away. It's gone. Um, and so it's that will. It's, it's when that will is accomplished is at the death. And so Jesus dies and the Old Testament is finished. And, uh, and the New Testament starts. And so we look at uh, Jeremiah 31, 31. This is what is promised back in the Old Testament God tells the people of Israel that the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. So he predicts the the new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their father. So it's going to be a different covenant than the old covenant. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so... Uh, that blank page in the, in the 
in your Bible that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament, where right after Malachi, there's a page that says New Testament, and then, and then Matthew starts. I ripped that out of my Bible. <laughs> You're welcome to do the same if you want. <laughs> Don't worry, there's no holy words of Scripture on it. But uh, that, that page is in the wrong spot. It doesn't begin... Uh, in, the, in the beginning of the Gospels. It doesn't begin, the New Testament doesn't begin before Jesus' birth. It begins after his death. And I would even say at, at Acts 2, maybe I'd put that, um, where the Holy Spirit does come. And uh, what it says there, he, God says, I will put my law within them and write on their hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. That's what that's about. Um, And so let's look at the difference. Let's go to the next one. The, uh, this is not that one. The, uh, the difference between the um, Old Testament and the New Testament. And so here's, um, is there one before that? Yes, that one. Uh, here's the uh, difference. Here's the Old Testament, which is a suzerainty covenant, right? Um, God's part was to bless the people of Israel for their obedience and to curse them for their disobedience and then to forgive them for their sins. Man's part, obey all those laws that God had given, which was impossible. And that's why they had to offer sacrifices and had the sacrificial system, which was a shadow of what was to come. Okay, then we go to the next, the next one is the New Testament, a promissory covenant. So it's a different covenant. And God's part is forgive all our sins, Give us eternal life, gives the Holy Spirit, direct access to God, uh, new life, new identity, new power, all these things, new grace living inside of us, the living God inside of us. And our part, just receive it. That's it. There's nothing we have to do. Um, and it's just like the promise that Abraham gave, or God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God came down and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a new name, a new identity. I'm going to give you a new purpose. I'm going to give you um, the blessing to be able to bless the nations of the whole world through your line. And uh, it's the same for us. It's a promissory covenant. God has come down and given us Jesus and said, if you choose to, all you have to do is receive it or believe it. And when we do, we have all of that that God wants to give us. All of the blessings are just given to us. There's nothing we have to do. There's not any tests we have to take. There's not a certain holiness we have to achieve. There's no any laws that we have to, uh, to follow. It's simply given to us. And then the question is, what does the law look like then? Is there a law? What about the Old Testament law? Um, and, and the answer is that there's not 613 laws anymore like there are in the Old Testament that we have to follow. The law looks different. Like I said in Jeremiah 31, the law is written on our hearts. That's the difference. And so uh, there might be someone in the church who feels the Lord is compelling them to sell all they have and give it to the poor. And they can go and do that. And that's great. And that, that's what God's put on their heart. There might be someone else in this church that is a businessman. And God is blessed with finances and wisdom to use and to be shrewd in this world and to have lots of money and to use it to be generous for his kingdom. And so there's those two different extremes that God could be leading both people, but there's no law. You have to be poor to follow Jesus, or you have to be rich to follow Jesus, or you have to give all your material possessions away 
There's no laws about this. And so this is where we have to rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe someone in here feels they sh- a conviction from God. They should never drink alcohol again. And that's good. That's a conviction the Lord's put on them. But someone else in this room doesn't feel that conviction. They don't feel the Lord's told them don't drink alcohol ever again. And there's no command in the Bible not to. And so they have the freedom to do that. And you see where it gets tricky is that person who feels, I feel convicted, I'm not going to drink alcohol ever again. Then they start putting that conviction on other people and go, you can't drink alcohol or you have to give all your money away or whatever it is, right? And so what we're doing is putting the law or putting uh, bondage, basically, barriers or restrictions or stipulations on that person for being a, a good Christian, And the freedom of the gospel doesn't allow that. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit in what God is telling us to do. Right? And so we can go to the next one and look at the the differences there between the two. And especially uh, on man's part, there's no no, um, stipulations. It's simply receive by faith. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, in uh, Romans 7, 7, it says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for what I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. And so the point I want to make here is that, this, that the law, it actually it reveals sin, but it actually um, highlights sin in our life. So when we focus on the law, we, we end up focusing on sin in a sense what is sinful and what is not. And um, uh, a guy named Bob George, he tells this story um, of if you were walking down the street and there's a wooden fence beside you and there's a little hole in the wooden fence and you're walking along and ordinarily you wouldn't wouldn't even notice. You'd be thinking about all kinds of different things and you'd just pass right by. But above this hole, there's a huge sign with big block red letters that says, under no circumstances are you to look into this hole. <laughs> and you're laughing because you, all of us know immediately what we want to do is look in that hole. <laughs> uh, and so we, we start looking around, see if anyone's around, see if anyone's watching, and we use all our creativity and our ingenuity to see if we can look in that hole without getting caught. And I was, I was just kind of doing this yesterday. I was out for a run above the tracks above my house along the, the trail and there's a sign I came to that said you cannot pass this point be- for your safety or something like that. And I just, you know, looked around like, well, there's no safety problems and I went right in. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and kept running. But uh, that's, that's the point that when we look at the law, it brings out that sinful nature within us. It's like us waving a, a red flag in front of a bull and he charges at the red flag. We didn't create that nature within that bull. We just brought out his bullishness. And that's the same thing when we focus on the law. And so when we try to focus on our own holiness and, oh, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? And all of our attention goes into, you know, am I, am I, am I, am I following God's law? Am I, am I being obedient? Uh, and our attention is there. Our, our focus and our gaze is off Jesus. And it's on trying to be perfect. When He's already lived a perfect life for us and given us 
his prize of perfection. And so we, we need to stop doing that. We need to go, okay, Jesus, you've lived your perfect life. You want me to die to myself and take on your life. And there's a huge difference there. Um, and so the law is written on our hearts. We need to remember that. We need to, to remember, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about, the gospel, living in freedom. And so we're going to go uh, to the next slide there, and it just kind of reinforces that. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. And so that's where I'm talking about. If you feel convicted not to drink alcohol, and you do, then you're sinning. Even though there's no, there's no scripture that says, thou shalt not drink alcohol, there's none. It doesn't exist in the Bible, in case you thought it did. <laughs> it doesn't. But if, if, you, if, you, um, if you do drink alcohol and you feel you're not supposed to, then it is sin. And so that's what living by faith is all about. Lord, what are you telling me to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do here? And being sensitive to his guiding because his law is written within our hearts. We know what is right for us. We know what is wrong for us. If I know it's wrong for me to um, drink alcohol, and I do, I'm sinning. Let's go to the next one. So now we're going to get into what I really want to get into. <laughs> religion versus the gospel. This is what religion says, and then on the other side is the gospel. So religion says, if I obey, then I'll be accepted by God. And then if I'm good, God will love me. And then their view, religious people, their view of, of other people is they view them as, oh, good people, follow the law, good. Bad people, don't follow up bad. And then their focus is on what they do and don't do. Like I was saying, our focus uh, on the law or our focus on sin, if we continue to focus on that, we're just focusing on what, we, what we're doing and not doing rather than on what Jesus has already done for us and fixing our gaze on him. Um, religion, it produces pride or despair. So if we're living our life and we feel like we're doing good because we've been, we're really disciplined type of people, we've been reading our Bibles, we've been tithing, we've been having small groups and prayer times, and we're just really disciplined. So all of these things are in order in our life. Then we're going to end up feeling proud. We're going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm doing it, I'm right on the... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, but if we're not so disciplined and we feel like um, we've been slacking in our Bible times or slacking in our prayer times and we just feel lazy and we just, we just don't, don't have that get up and go, you know, we just feel in despair all the time, like we're never good enough. And so it, this religion produces one or the other and it's motiva- motivated by fear. God, he doesn't really love me unless I do these things. So it's, it's a fear-based motive to, to do the right things. Whereas on the other side, there's gospel that says, I'm accepted, so I want to obey. Jesus accepts me, he loves me, he's died for me, he's given everything he can for me. So I want to obey him. And then, I, and then uh, the view of people, it, or uh, my behavior is, I am, I'm bad. I know I do bad things. I'm not, I'm not a hypocrite. A lot of people say um, people in church are hypocrites. I think they're not in the sense that we actually admit we're bad. <laughs> um, a lot of people in the world, they don't admit they're bad. They just think they're hunky-dory because they compare themselves to everyone else in the world. 
Um, but yeah, I'm bad. And you know what? Jesus loves bad people. And that is good news. Uh, and then the folk, uh, the, our uh, gospel people, their, their view of others is that they are either repentant or not. And the focus is on what Jesus has done in terms of justification, that what we stand on is not what I do or don't do, not my behavior, but on what Jesus' life, his perfect life, has already um, been sacrificed for me and he's given it to me. And that produces humility or confidence, or both, I mean, humility and confidence. Because it's not my life, it's not my goods, it's not all my check boxes, it's not all the amazing, wonderful things I've done, it's all Jesus. And so I'm humbled that even though I'm imperfect, I'm bad, I get to take on the perfection of Jesus. And that should produce humility and confidence in who God is. And it's motivated by love. I love Jesus. And that's why I want to do what he wants me to do. Not because I feel like I should or I have to in order to get his blessings. And so as we look, let's go to the next one. And here's a very interesting thing. If we look at religion and gospel, it's actually following the two different covenants. The Old Testament covenant is religion, the suzerainty covenant, and the New Testament covenant is the promissory covenant of the gospel. And so it's that, that two-letter word, if. If, you're, if your Christian life is, is preceded by that if, if anything, if I obey, if I do the right thing, if I do these certain things, then God will love me. If that if is in your life, then you're living under the conditional promise. That's under the old covenant. You're going back to religion, going back to the law. And so we have to watch out for that if in our life and, and to not fall under that. And I'll give you a, a quick example because it's very easy to do, and I think we do it all the time. And that's why uh, I'm giving, in a way, a basic message is because we need reminders of this. Uh, last, last several years, I've been in Taiwan, I've been teaching and preaching and doing all this stuff with um, ministry. And it was going well, I loved it. You know, I love what I was doing. God was showing me all kinds of new things, all, all kinds of exciting things happening, traveling here, there, teaching um, the word of God. Amazing, loving it. Then I came back here last fall, and all of that stopped. All my ministry stopped, and all of a sudden I'm going to school, I'm working, I'm doing all these things, I, I don't have the same group of friends, everything's different. And I just felt all of a sudden like, wow, I suck. <laughs> I'm not doing anything good for God now, I'm just doing school and work and whatever. And I just felt like, you know, that feeling inside of me let. God mustn't be happy with me anymore because I'm not doing all these amazing things I was doing. And that feeling kind of crept in. And I started realizing, wait a minute. It's not about what I do or, or how much ministry I'm doing, how many cool things I'm doing for God. It's nothing to do with that because it's a promissory covenant. I'm accepted already. And so I want to obey him wherever my life takes me, whether it's school or work or overseas or teaching or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. And so it's very easy to fall into that, to that kind of going back to, uh-oh, am I pleasing God enough? Let me tell you, God is already pleased with you. 
if you have taken Christ's life uh, and as your own. And um, I want to want to if we can skip the next slide and yeah, and go to that. This verse says, "I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." That is what the Christian life is all about, and that is what the gospel, the freedom of the gospel brings. So I trade my life. It's an exchange, a beautiful exchange, if you know that song by Hillsongs. It's an exchange where my sin, my sorrow, all of my, my crappiness has been given to Jesus. He takes it, and it's crucified with him. He kills it. He kills my old nature. And then it's no longer I who live. It's not just Basil in his flesh. It's Christ who lives in me. It's a new identity. It's a new power living within me. And uh, that's the difference. And so it's actually not about me, not about my dreams or passions or desires or wants or rights or anything else. It's about Christ living in me and his desires, his passions, his, his wants, and his uh, eyes and his caring, his compassion for the world, his love for all of those things living out of me. And so I, in a sense, become like Christ, an incarnation of Christ on this earth. And that's what the word Christian means. It means, uh, Christianos, it means little Christs. So all of you in this room who accept Jesus' sacrifice for your life, who accept the promissory covenant by God, you are little Christs, little incarnations of Jesus in this world because you yourself have died with Christ's death and you live now with Christ's life. And so the problem is that we're trying, we go around running, trying to live our life for Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to live his life through me. And that's the thing. I, I, when I came back from Taiwan and all this ministry stuff, I was like, oh, but Jesus, I'm not living my life for you anymore. I'm just doing all these other things. And it's not about that. It's about him living through me. That's the difference. And it's big. Uh, and so I just want to challenge you guys tonight that are we trying to live for Jesus or is there an area in your life where you're being convicted of or the Holy Spirit speaking to you now going, oh yeah, I have been trying to do that. I've been trying to live my life for Jesus. I've been focusing on the sin or the do's and don'ts rather than gazing on Jesus and the, and the beauty of his holiness that draws our gaze toward him that makes us realize all that sin, all that other stuff, all the do's and don'ts they're really, it's really garbage. It's really nothing in comparison to the glory and the beauty of God. And that's what I want. And that's where my gaze is fixed. And so have you caught yourself living for Jesus instead of allowing him to live through you? Because if you're living for Jesus in any way, you've gone back to the law, to the Old Testament. Instead of living under the promises that God's given us in the New Testament, he wants to live his life through you and you to be a vessel for him to impact this world. And so I just want to invite, I know we're going to have communion in, in that, but I want to invite anyone who wants to come up and pray um, afterwards, um, if the Lord is speaking to you in any way about this, that uh, you just come up and go, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I, I've been living my life for you instead of allowing you to live through me. And really our best life, our best life now, the best life we could possibly ever have is allowing Jesus to live through us. There's no greater life that we could have. And so I want to invite all of us to refocus 
on that. We are dead when, with Jesus' death, and we are now alive in Christ. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, I regard no one according to the flesh. I don't think of you as you, Dana. I think of you as Christ is living through you because you're a new creation. It's different. So let's just pray. Then uh, Dana will come up to do communion. And I invite anyone who would like to come up for prayer after. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that are in it. We thank you that your Holy Spirit resides inside of us. I just pray for a refocus for all of us to live, to allow you to live through us. Father, that you want to impact this world. You have desires and dreams for people to be radically changed through your power, but you want to use people. You want to do it through these little vessels, these little Christs that you've planted in this earth. And so, Father, I pray uh, for the power of your Holy Spirit to infect each one of us in a deep way. We'd be surrendered to you. We'd give up our old selves. That we'd allow them to be dead. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do your work in your church, in your people. In Jesus' name, amen.